is Gunnar Esaias, and then you are listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast presented by the Boomer Esaias Foundation and GunnarEsaias.com. This podcast series has been made possible by Vertex, Novartis, DCU, and Atlantic Health. The views expressed on Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast are that of Gunnar Esaias and Leah Farone, Tiffany Rich, and guests, and are not necessarily those of the Boomer Esaias Foundation. Nothing in this podcast series should be considered medical advice. Such advice can only be given by a physician who's experienced with cystic fibrosis. The Boomer Esiason Foundation, Gunnar and Leah Farone, Tiffany Rich, and guests cannot be held responsible for any damage which may result from using the information on this podcast without the permission of your medical doctor. You're listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast. All right, back again for another episode of Breathe In with very lovely Leah Farone and Tiffany Rich. Hey guys. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. What about you? Not bad, not bad. Uh, so today our episode comes to us, or the topic for our episode rather, comes to us from a question, our first ever question-based episode. And this one comes from a CF mom, and she wants to know how we were able to understand the importance of compliance to medications and treatments at a young age. So let's start this off by asking the big question here. Were you guys compliant with your medications at a young age? <laughs> Yes. You were. Yeah. You were? I was. How so? I feel very confident in saying that. Yeah. I was. That, can you tell I me why? I was an angel. <laughs> <laughs> why were you Were you compl- compliant, Gunnar? Okay. Yes, I was very were compliant. You? I was very compliant. I never missed treatment. Like, I, I, think, no. I think it came from, like, my parents being very, I don't know, I don't want to say disciplinarians, but they definitely laid down the law. Yeah, when I was when too. I was a young kid, like it was, it never felt weird for me to do treatments. My treatments were always sort of like, I guess they were normal in the sense that I always did them in front of other friends or fa- or people in my family. Like I, I never right. had my treatments in my bedroom; they were always in a common place within the house. Yeah, that's how it was for me growing up. Like we had a spot in the family room where all my treatments were, and we'd all like watch a show while I did them or yeah. we were all together. Like in the morning, it would usually be my sister and I like before school. Mm-hmm. And right. then at night it would be my entire family all together while I did them. So it kind of felt yeah. natural, you know, like it felt like that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. My, um, my treatments were done in the morning by myself because my parents went to work and I had the neighbor watch me. So I would go into the office and play computer games what like was your the favorite? pinball, the little pinball one. Oh, yeah, yeah you're talking about. <laughs> that I'm was like, my favorite. Oh, like, like Windows 98? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so I would do that with my vest and with my treatment. We had it all set up. And then um, at night, I would do it in the family room with my parents because I don't have any siblings. So I would do it with my parents there and my cat, of course. Yeah, so, I, you know, I think – Obviously. You know, I, I think like I think doing them in a common place or while you're actively doing something is probably the best way to – yeah, take your mind of, off of it. Show, yeah, because exactly. you want to mm-hmm. feel like you're not wasting time, right? Like Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I get for like a younger kid, I remember watching SpongeBob. That's, that's whatever, like for whatever reason, SpongeBob lined Power. up. Yeah, I, SpongeBob yeah. lined up for when I did my tributes. That was just the time, the time zone. I mean, mm-hmm. I I remember like doing that when I was a kid, but I also, um, you know, I I was in a common place. So I was always with someone and I, I have a very vivid memory actually of uh, one time when I was younger my sister sort of complained about the noise of the vest because she couldn't hear the TV. 
And my dad. That's my, a very real thing. It is. And it, the vest is, is loud. And my, my dad mm-hmm. snapped at her. Like, he, like, I didn't have to say anything. My dad snapped at her. We were very young. I love it. And, uh, and that was sort of the end of it. And there was never any sort of discussion or complaint about, uh, you know, my treatments ever again from anyone else in my family. You know, sort of just looked upon as a normal thing. And it was like that also, right. like, if we went on vacation or something like that, too. You know, if we went mm-hmm. somewhere and we were in a hotel room, you know, no one in the family could do anything until Gunnar was done with his treatments. Yep, that's how it was for me. Like, exactly yeah. the same. I just wait and do that stuff, get it done so we can have fun. That was the right. whole thing. Yeah. Exactly. I, do I've, your treatments and then let's go have fun. Yeah, I've always sort of looked at the treatments as like a gateway, right? In the morning, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you got to do them. And I guess in the younger age, you don't necessarily understand why you're doing them. We'll get to that. But, you know, you, yeah, do, exactly. you do them and the gate opens and you have the rest of the day. And then at nighttime... You know, you do them and the gate opens to go to sleep, right? Like, I yeah, think right. that's sort of how I always looked at it. Like, you got to pay your toll to get through the gate. And, uh-huh. and, and paying the toll was the sort of the treatment. So the one thing I did sort of resist at a younger age was the vest. I did, I did not like the vest. I, oh, I when did you either. When did you start the vest? I see. I was, I think, introduced to the vest when I was in middle school. And it was like the big bulky vest. Right, remember that yeah, thing? Oh, it was yeah. like the, the heavy, one, like, yeah, the heavy the, one that's the, just as big as me now. Yes, it's exactly. giant. It had like it had like yeah. the uh, the tan colored tubes and yeah. like the vest. Yeah. With the vest like the dials. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. There was little yeah. dials in the thing. Yes, the, the old days, the vest, and I resented that thing because I didn't like how it felt on my stomach. Like I every time I would do it, oh. like it would shake my stomach. Yeah. I'd get nauseous and I would throw up and. And what ended up happening was they sort of you had my, the feeding tube at that point, right? No, I didn't. No? I didn't. I got I got the feeding tube okay. later in college. Um, okay. The, my, oddly enough, that the feeding tube actually doesn't. Right, the way the vest works now doesn't really bother my feeding mm-hmm. tube. But back in the old okay. days, um, I, I think I probably think you because I would have. Yeah, because I was I was smaller. Right now, my stomach yeah. is a lot further away from my torso. But um, right. yeah, I think back then I was just so like. I feel I felt so uncomfortable in the big bulky vest that we had in the late '90s, early 2000s, simply because the, te- the technology just was not as good. You know, I, oh, and, it definitely wasn't. And I, I resisted it. That was the one thing I resisted. And my parents knew that by virtue of me feeling uncomfortable doing treatments, it was going to be a barrier to me doing the medication. So they. They, they, they were fine figuring out a different way for do, for airway clearance. My mom or dad would do manual CPT, or I did the right. flutter or acapella. Like, that's how I did it yeah. back then. Yeah, that's kind of how it was for me. I think I started my vest in elementary school. I think that's when I first got one. Because I remember I was pretty small, and I thought it was weird when the woman came out to introduce me to it and kind of show me what I was supposed to do. Because, you know, I was diagnosed when I was three, so my parents had been doing manual chest PT ever since I had been diagnosed. Um, and they always did it twice a day. That was just always what we did. And I think albuterol was the only other thing I ever really used. We didn't use Pomazon because that didn't exist yet. Obviously, Pomazon was developed in like 1990. Yeah, yeah but there. I was in one of the first studies for it. It did not exist. It definitely did because I had access to Pomazon in the early 90s. I did, that was like, I, I, I always had Pomazon. I was not doing it yet. So I had it. But I don't yeah. know what when I got it, because right they're over here, Genentech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got it pretty early, I remember, and I would do the vest with it. I didn't so. start that until I was seven. Yeah, seven. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, when yeah, I was I mean, seven, yeah, I think I was like five I or six when I got, when I got I think. Yeah, like I didn't start. I think Pomazon and the vest started around the same time for me. Uh-huh. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So. I know I was doing albuterol and we were doing chest PT. Hypertonic saline wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. 
um, I was in one of the studies for Pomazon, and then that became a thing. I think when I was around seven, six or seven. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is a weird thing that we sort so, of grew up with that like kids these days don't have is like we didn't have all these medications, right? Like you just right. said, like we, we did not have all these options. Yeah, we didn't have. So I think that was one thing. Yeah, we didn't have hypertonic saline. Pomazon was was definitely being developed. Whether you had it a year or two after, I didn't. Who knows? But. Right. You know, and then oh, obviously the inhaled antibiotics. Also, you're a little younger, so it yeah, could be that. that. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, you know what so I mean? yeah. yeah, the uh, the I guess the inhaled antibiotics were sort of the next phase that came in the late nineties. Like right. when we were just first starting out, there really wasn't much to do as as far as treatments were concerned. It was there very, wasn't. It was a very quick thing, and then by the time you know I was ten, eleven, twelve, and you guys are maybe a year two older than me, that's mm-hmm. when the treatment regimen started to really grow, right? As we've right, progressed right. in CF research and development. And I also think, I mean, when I was initially diagnosed, I didn't have any lung infections. Like I didn't have any yeah, infections kind of living in my lungs. You know what I mean? So yeah, you had no and need for antibiotics. And that's a whole other thing to get exactly. into at another time. But that does add to your treatment regimen. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. by the time I was in middle school, that was kind of a thing. And we had to add in the extra inhaled antibiotics you know so and i know some kids have them right off the bat other kids get them later some kids never get them you know it's so different for each person these days these days i feel like they just like they throw the kids right on the stuff like you know i'm not saying the Uh antibiotics obviously but like they throw the kids on all the other inhaled nebs and the vest right away they start that off right off the bat you know i think and that's you get your first vest after you're a year old i think you have to be a year old and then they start you so yeah, it's crazy, and yeah, it's, it's a crazy thing for like little kids to have to be spending that much time. Whereas we really didn't have that. I right. mean, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't even diagnosed at that point, so that wasn't a thing for me. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, but, I, you know, I think looking back, the one thing that I didn't really, I guess, comprehend about my treatments were like the specific jobs of the individual medications. Like I knew, right. I knew the order that I had to do them in. I knew that the. Yeah. You know, my Toby at the end or, my, you know, the inhaled antibiotic, you know, was, was fighting the right. bacteria. But I, I didn't really know the ins and outs of what every other medication did. And I think looking back, it would have been cool to know that because yeah, I could have been like, oh, I'm a little congested today. Maybe I'd do an extra hypertonic saline. You know, like those mm-hmm. are things like mm-hmm. that's not something that's going to hurt me. And it's something no, that's it's like not. it's written into the prescription for me these days is to use hypertonic saline as needed. And mm-hmm. like I think that's one of those things that had I known that as a, as a kid – that that would have, I think, shaped the way I would have been able to manage my treatments, you know, like I do now. And, you know, the way I do them now is I definitely do them consistently twice a day, every day. I can't remember the last time I've missed treatments because let's be honest, if I miss a, a single I do tre- not miss that. If I miss a treatment <laughs> session, can't. I feel horrible. You just feel you feel sick. So I, 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 I think I'd end up with a lung infection I, like, the yeah. next day if I did that. Yeah. I couldn't <clears throat> miss one. Yeah, I mean, I it's just like it's just not an option by the time you get older. No. No. Yeah, exactly. Not only is that the nature of a progressive disease, but it's also like the virtue by virtue of us becoming more familiar with our bodies. You know, when you're an eight year old kid, you don't necessarily know the ins and outs of your body. But what I'm saying is, like, I think it's a good way to teach kids. You know what I mean? Like, Like, know what what to be aware of and what this medicine is going to do. I also think it it does give you a little flexibility, right? Like, for example, Mm -hmm. let's say I there's something that I want to do at like seven o'clock at night, right? Seven o'clock is kind of a weird time for someone to see if to do something because that's generally Right. right in the middle. <clears throat> when you're doing your treatments for me mm-hmm. what i'll do is you know if i if i have to i'll do my albuterol and then my hypertonic saline in the vest you know at six o'clock go do my thing at seven i come back at nine when i'm still in the four hour window of the albuterol 
and I'll mm-hmm. continue the rest of the treatments and finish them then with the pulmonary inhaled antibiotic. Like that's you know that's something that I think as a kid had I understood that it was a possibility, you know that's something that I would have done more frequently when I was younger. But now that I understand the how the medications work, you know what their time frames are, you know how for example albuterol has the four to six mm-hmm. hour window, you know yes. you you can sort of use hypertonic a little more frequently if you need to, and you know that that's sort of I think something that I would have had would have liked to have known as a yeah. kid because I think that would have made things a little easier on both me and my parents. You know, I think when we looked at right. treatments as a, as a, as a, you know, when we were younger, it was nice to have that routine and the routine is definitely essential for people that are very busy, whether that's, you know, going to high school and playing sports and whatever. But mm-hmm. I think at the same time, you do want to have a, a degree of flexibility when it comes to doing your medications so that you aren't missing them. You know, when it's, you're, when oh, you're definitely. not, when you're nine years old and you know, something like that, it comes up at seven o'clock. It's very difficult for the family to sort of, I guess, adapt their entire day to accommodate for those treatments. So, like, Ooh. there are ways to work them out regardless of what happens throughout the day or if any sort of obstacle does come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. I also think, though, that could be difficult with little kids and, like, really little kids, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just because like I think it's easier to <laughs> sit them down and get it over with than yeah. Yeah. give them the option of, okay, you can do this much and then go play and then come back because I could see a lot of meltdowns yeah. happening. I, I was saying, oh, no. I was saying like, more now, in the, like the, the realm of, like, Going to soccer practice and then coming back from yeah, soccer practice. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, more yeah, my. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Yeah, that, that was you more know? my my, my and, feeling there. Yeah, and nowadays I see a lot of the littler CFers uh, doing their vest and treatments and have the iPad now. We yeah, didn't have, yeah, that we have that back then. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So now they have the iPad, which can help them just relax them and the, yeah. yeah, and know that they're getting their medicine and. Just explaining, like we said, would be really good, so they know what's going on, why they're doing it, and stuff. I, I always, I always tell parents like, don't fear weaponizing the treatments, right? Yeah. Like it, it is, it is, it is totally, to, it is yeah. totally okay to weaponize the treatments if you have a stubborn kid, right? You gotta, yeah. I mean, you gotta mm-hmm. basically, you gotta be like, you know, we're doing these treatments, otherwise you're not getting X, Y, and Z. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I was bribed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I you know I'm I not think lie. It, it definitely is a degree <laughs> of incentive there because let's put it as, as, let's put it this way, the treatments that we do in CF are very passive, right? They don't actively mm-hmm. go after the disease itself; rather, they manage the symptoms. At least the oh, yeah. the, the treatments that we do now, you know right, that exactly. that could change in however many years. But the treatments mm-hmm. that we do now are passive in the sense that they don't actively go after the CF. They they just manage the symptoms of the disease so we can live more comfortably. So it's very hard. Mm-hmm to convince a child at a very young age the importance of the treatments in that respect, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I you mean, know, the only, did your like, parents you, like, ever sit you down and tell you this is why you're doing this? No, or were they kind no, of like, this is what you're doing? Yeah, like, you I don't have an option. Yeah, they said this is yeah, what you're doing. What if you right. want to have fun and you don't want to go in the hospital, we need to do this. Yeah, I mean, my mm-hmm. parents also, like, they weaponized the G-tube when I was younger, too. They were like, they used to be like, Gunnar, you have to finish your meal, otherwise, you know, we're going to go to get, we're gonna, otherwise, we're going to have to give you a G-tube. And that was well, like something they, I was. My parents did that for me. I too. was I was terrified of it, but at the yeah. same time, it was definitely an effective way of parenting because it it got the point across very clearly that my life was going to change. That if I didn't, you know, do mm-hmm. something that was going to better, better my health, they were going to take matters into their own hands. Right. Exactly. No, that's exactly how it was for me because I mean, growing up, weight was more of an issue for me. It wasn't necessarily my lungs. It kind of flipped. I think it does for a lot of girls in a sense because when you go through adolescence and hormone changes and all of that a lot of girls have a harder time I think 
with their lungs, or at least that's how it was for me. And I know a lot of other people that were like that. So it was interesting when, you know, growing up, I couldn't really feel the effect of my treatments. Like I would do them because I was told this is what I have to do. But if I didn't do one, which happened occasionally, a lot of times, because my parents would be like, let's say I had had a whole year where I didn't miss a treatment. They'd be like, okay, tonight you can have a break and not do it. You know what I mean? Uh And I think that was good and bad because it did show me, okay, if I don't do these, like, this is how I feel. But it also made me feel a little bit like a normal person. So Mm. I knew that if I was compliant and I kept doing what I had to do, that occasionally I would get a little break, Uh you know? And, like, a night like that was a huge deal. You know what I mean? Because you have so much more free time. Or at least that's how it felt. You know what I mean? So, but as I got older, if I ever, like, missed a treatment like that, which, I mean, this is, like... I would miss one in like a year. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be a frequent thing where they'd be like, okay, you can miss whenever you feel like it. Um, But as I got older, you know, if I didn't do a treatment, I could really feel the effect of that, you know? And it was just very different. That happened now. I sort of of had that realization in college, I think. And what happened, I I didn't miss treatments in college. I think I can count the number of times on one hand how many times I missed treatments in college. Um, and I'm talking about like individual meps, not entire sessions, but I, I sort of realized as I got to college, the, the necessity of the vest versus the other forms of airway clearance, because you lose the ability to do CPT when you go to, to college, right? Because unless you train one of your roommates or something like that to do, you know, manual chest PT on you. But I, I basically, you know, I, I don't know. I, I sort of lost the you know, the, my confidence in the flutter or the acapella or whatever, simply because I, I noticed how much better I was feeling when I did the vest. Um, the flutter, I didn't like it when the vest came out because I felt like the vest did a lot more for me. And the flutter was, I don't know, it was just one thing you just blow into it and Mm. it didn't seem like it did much. It made me cough. Yes. But I feel like the vest did more surface area, so mm-hmm. it got the lower sections too. So that's kind of how I felt. Like I, yeah. I, I don't want to say that the flutter was ineffective. It just felt like it was easier to do, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also like I, I, I also slowly like slowly realized that the flutter utilized you have to use you have to use one of your hands like you lose one of your hands to do the flutter right because you got to hold it up yeah i hated that about it and with the vest it was too heavy to just hold in your mouth yeah exactly yeah Yeah. if you want to do like properly yeah and i think and if you wanted to have teeth you know yeah yeah, that too you know i think ultimately the ability to have both my hands available during treatments is like a major benefit right especially by the time i was in high school and college because Although I didn't do the vest so much in high school because I just didn't really love it. Uh, by the time I was in college, and I really sort of loved the vest. Um, I, you know, I, I felt that I was able to do other things, right? Like I could play video games, or I could, yeah. or I could, I guess, do homework if I really felt compelled to do that. You know, I, I think right. there are different, you know, pros and cons to all of these medications, and ultimately, or even like, I guess, the machines themselves. And what it comes down to is figuring out what's best for you based right. on your daily needs when you're doing treatments. For me, the flutter was never my sole thing that I used. So, like, 
growing up before I had the vest, my parents would do chest PT. Mm-hmm. And then after chest PT, since chest PT is more of a passive thing, mm-hmm. I mean, I would huff in between, um, you know, different positions. But we kind of figured out that adding the flutter in the car. So what we would do is we do my nebulizers and then yeah, we do chest PT. Car thing. Yeah. And then when I got in the car on the way to school, I hated the car ride on the way to school because I always did my flutter. So I do my flutter on the way, and that was kind of the more active way to get the mucus out. And that's just what we figured out worked for me. Mm. I hated it, though. I hated it with a passion. I hated flutter more than anything. And with time, I realized the flutter really didn't do a whole lot for me Mm. as I got older. So it was just a thing of the past, you know? Uh, The good thing about the flutter was, like you said, it's portable. Right. Yeah. When the best isn't. That's the only thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I know people who like will buy like electricity adapters at Home Depot or something, and oh, they'll yeah. and they'll stick yeah. their vest machine in the car. I think it's hilarious <laughs> right? they that's do that. Yeah, that's, but that's, uh, yeah. you know, I think it works. <laughs> like having the ability to be on the move when you do treatments, especially as you're getting older. Like for me, going to high school, I had I don't know a 20 minute commute to high school, 20 25 minute commute, mm-hmm. based because my high school is in a different town from where I lived, so. Right. I had time in the morning to do treatments, and it would have been unrealistic to think that I could wake up even earlier, do do treatments, and then take 25 minutes, 25, maybe even 30 minutes of traffic in the morning, ride to school, and not be productive during that, that time. You know, I, right. I think... Right, I kind of used that time, too, because my commute was like 40 minutes. Yeah. And I woke up kind of early, because, I mean, I woke up to do my nebs and do chest PT, but then, like... I didn't have enough time to do flutter and do a bunch of other things and eat. Like I'd eat and do flutter in the car. Like that's what I did. <clears throat> By the time I had no. really transitioned to doing the vest, <clears throat> my junior senior year of high school, I woke up, did my first neb or two with the vest in the morning. And then I went downstairs, ate breakfast quickly. My breakfast in the morning was a, was a very like classic CF breakfast. It was like a bowl of ice cream or like something high fat. Oh, yeah. This is before the days we realized that nutrition was like, an important thing. So I, <laughs> yeah. I, I did, like, the, did like the classic make sure Gunner eats something breakfast in the morning. And then I finished my treatments on the ride to school. And that, you know, that was generally my Pulmazine and inhaled antibiotic with the portable nebulizer. You know, I think the as kids get older and, and the school day is earlier and there's a lot more going on in their day and rest becomes more essential – uh, there are times where you have to figure out like how to how to weasel treatments into different parts of the day. And for right. me, the car ride to school, the 25, 30-minute car ride that it was, was one of those times when I could do it. And I, yeah. it was that, like, because you can't lose productivity when you have CF. Like, you have to make every moment count of the day, right? You there's very there's right. little time off. The only time off really is the time after treatments in the evening between, you know, treatments and bedtime. Like, that was basically my time off from actively caring for myself or worrying about schoolwork or whatever. I mean, I guess if I had a test, I was studying, but you know, mm-hmm. the, the, there, those were, you know, that two or three hours after evening treatments before bed was like my time, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you on that one. It still kind of is in a lot of ways. Like that's still mm-hmm. pretty much what it looks like. I mean, these days mm-hmm. I, I do stay up later, uh, just I get, for whatever reason. Um, but these days, like I do my treatments after dinner around mm-hmm. seven or eight o'clock if I'm not doing anything. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm usually up to like 11 or 12 and like, that, I do, like two or three see, hours. I'm so different. Yeah. I, um, 
I, I function weird. Like, I'm a late night person. I can't help it. I still get, you know, a good, like, seven to eight hours of sleep. But um, I usually don't start my treatments until 10 o'clock because I like my time in between dinner and when I do treatments for myself. Um, and then I do my treatments for two hours and then I go to bed. Yeah, see, I, I don't know. And it I... just works the best for me. And I think it's because I just feel so clear that I can fall asleep easily. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I get that. I think that's what it is, but... I, I definitely get that. I, know. I, you know, I think... I don't know. I, I, I do feel... I feel like I can't really ever fall asleep right after I do treatments because it... While yeah. it is exhausting to do treatments because you're coughing energy. so much, you are like wired, right? Yeah. You are just yeah, totally your wired by some... Yeah, yeah. You're coughing, your heart rate's high, you feel like you just did a marathon. Yeah, it's so a workout. You need it's that a workout time to rest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I never. Yeah, a lot of times I want to eat and then I want to pass out, and that's what I do. I mean, there were, there were definitely times when I was younger, right? And you do treatments and like you're a little kid and you can't stay up late. And like, yeah. I'm like, I have the Toby in my mouth and I'm like, dozing off yeah, with the tail in my mouth. Totally. Yeah, and, and then with like the vest on, I used to fall asleep. I, was, I still fall asleep in the morning with the vest on. Oh, see, yeah, the vest, it. the vest doesn't. I, I never got that with the vest. My, my vest will oh, put my it. friends to sleep. Like if they're with me while I'm doing the vest, I guess the white noise puts them to sleep. But the vest does not put me to sleep. That's for sure. Oh, it puts me to sleep almost every time. That's so. And then funny. I, I do a lot at the end of the vest to get all the mucus out. Oh, really? Yeah, that's kind of my tactic. So, like, I do my best, and I do, like, two different settings, you know? Uh So, like, in between settings, I'll huff and get stuff out. And then when I finish, I do a lot of, like, breathing exercises and huffing. And then I do the acapella, which I don't think the acapella as a whole does a whole lot. But it's a good tool to use to kind of gauge, okay, I need to do this, this, and this to help me actively get this mucus out. Uh So I use it for that sense. So then that helps me clear more mucus, and then I do my inhaled, like, um, antibiotics. I, I'm, I guess I'm sort of fortunate in the way that I never really have problem getting mucus out. Like, it just flies out of me. I do. Like, See, I, I'm jealous. I'm not like that. Like, it, like, it'll fly out of me, and I have no problem filling up, like, a quarter of, like, a plastic Solo cup or something, you know? Like, I, yeah. I've, I've always been that way. I've always – I've never really had the, the solidified mucus feeling in my chest, I guess. I'm jealous of you. It's really hard yeah. for me to get out. Yeah, I mean, I will yeah, say that so. I do get plugs, you know, and I have to sometimes work yeah. it out. But like, generally, it just it's like a waterfall, just like yeah. just, mm-hmm. just just a green mm-hmm. waterfall straight out of my mouth, just gross, right into the gum. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, you I know, had whatever. that. I had that thick stuff. Mine was <laughs> not so coming out easily. <laughs> I yeah, it's yeah, definitely like it. you guys sit here saying like how it's like I can I can imagine how when it's when mucus is stuck in your lungs, it's very uncomfortable. But it's not like it's, yeah. it's fun when it all just comes flying out either. It's really... Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> it's absolutely disgusting. It's sometimes like, please stop. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's it. not... And then I feel great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I feel like I'm dying. Like, I'm, like, trying to breathe, and I'm, like, there's, like, just, just like, pouring out of my mouth. Coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good problem. You want it to come out. So. Yeah. Just get it out. You know. It's all... Exactly. You worry more when it doesn't come out, but... Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. I, you know, I think, sort of to wrap this podcast up, you know, I if you important things we, we touched on here are to make the day and the treatment regimen and routine flexible to your needs, right? Like I think it's important mm-hmm. to understand that the importance of treatments every single day are mm-hmm. essential to someone's health. Uh, exactly. For me, at least, I wish I would have known what the nebulizers, the individual nebulizers would have done for me as a child because I think mm-hmm. that would have, you know, rehashed the importance of them. I didn't, I didn't really comprehend yeah. that until I was, you know, 
just getting to college, I think. I mean, I knew kind of what they did in a very basic way, but I, it would have been nice to know why I was taking them, I think. And then I didn't my, think it clicked for me until college, yeah. 100%, what each med did, yeah. because I didn't even understand the, the order of them and how you go about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, like, I, there's I, an importance to that. Yeah, I, I think it yeah. was just assumed that I knew. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. So I think getting kids, like, involved in understanding what each treatment does from an early age is important, especially because it helps them become more self-aware with their bodies and helps them kind of get to know themselves better and what that treatment could do for them if they, you know, understood what it yeah, did. More, like, more independent. In a way, yeah, you know, in a way. Yeah, so, I mean, I also think, good. I, you know, the, the, the last point is like what you guys just touched on there. I think when we were younger, we obviously didn't have as many treatment options as they do now. No. But the way that, you know, we sort of reconcile that difference here is by sort of you have to understand that the each treatment complements the other treatment, right? So like mm-hmm. each treatment plays an, an important role in the overall treatment routine, whether it's the hypertonic saline, the albuterol, the vest, the pulmazon, or the inhaled antibiotic, they all play essential roles that complement each other. And that, I think, is really the important piece for kids to understand. Like, you can't really just take one out and, and think it'll do the same thing, right? Like, you have right. to – it's it's really all for one and one for all. <laughs> and you're, mm-hmm. you're either going to get your bang for your buck or you're not. And I think that's really what it comes <laughs> down to for uh, for kids to understand. I agree. And I also think one thing to touch on is just the fact that – if one form of each aspect of the treatment doesn't work for a kid, there are a lot of other options they can choose from. You know what yes. I mean? So at, at least when it comes to airway clearance, they have the best they can choose. They could do manual chest BT if the parents are open to doing that. They have the acapella. They have that vibralung thing yeah, that I talked about yeah, the, on our um, – The frequency, you know what the I mean? There's all that so stuff. many yeah. different options that as long as you know you have a way of getting your hands on those tools – you could try different ones out and see what the kid is more likely to be willing to do. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I don't think that there's going to be any perfect situation and any kid's going to be like, oh my God, this is my favorite thing to do. I love this. But at least if you give them a choice and let them feel like they have some type of control, I think they're going to be more willing to do it. And more comfortable doing it. Right. Than being forced to do something they don't like at all. Like at all, at all. Right. One of the hardest things I think with having CF is a lot of people, and I know I feel like this sometimes, you don't feel this sense of control. And I see it as a nurse, a lot of patients, even little tiny kids, they don't feel the sense of control. And that's when people get resistant to doing things. And that's when, you know, they're like, I want nothing to do with this because they feel like they have no control of their life. So if you give a kid some type of control, a lot of times they're more willing to do something. But... Mm -hmm. You also have to be the parent and be like, you have to do this. You know, there is no option uh-huh. if Absolutely. they want to stay healthy, you know? So it's just finding that balance and that takes time to balance. Definitely yeah. right. Definitely right. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So we're going to wrap today's podcast up with a, an announcement about a giveaway. Okay. So the giveaway, we are coming out with a Breathe In podcast t-shirt, which you can see on our holiday gift list that came out earlier this week on GunnarSizen.com. You can check out what the t-shirt looks like there. We're going to put an Instagram post up this Friday, okay? And in order to be entered to win a t-shirt, this is what you have to do. You have to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You have to like us on Instagram, comment on the specific post. The instruction will be there on Instagram. Comment on the post and tag three friends. We'll then randomly select five people 
to win a t-shirt, okay? You're also going to be able to buy the t-shirt on the Salty Sisters Etsy store, which is just Salty Sisters. Yes. Yeah. Salty Sisters, C-Y-S-T-E-R-S. Um, and then we'll go from there. And then if this has some success, we'll, we'll continue making merchandise and, and giving you guys options to get some stuff, uh, because we, we definitely want to give back to the fans here. Uh, as for, as far as, as far as the podcast (laughs) is concerned, you can always reach out to us, uh, so we can talk about a specific, uh, topic, just like we did today. Uh, the best way to do that is by messaging any of us on our Facebook fan pages. You can email me at gunnersblog at assassin.org. You can email the Salty Sisters at saltysisters at gmail.com. Yep. Or you can message us on Twitter and Instagram is obviously an option. The Instagram handle is at breathe underscore in underscore pod. Breathe in pod. There it is. And then remember to <laughs> subscribe to us on iTunes, like, share, review, and give us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening today and we hope you enjoyed it. Thanks. Bye. Bye.